Today we're speaking about, uh, we're kind of wrapping things up. We're looking at this question. Why does God allow suffering and evil? This is a question that has come up many, many times. Um, and it's not new to the church. Um, certainly not new in our church and just any church. This is a question that people are constantly asking. Why does suffering and evil exist? And um, today's question is one that has plagued mankind for as long as we can collectively remember. And um, there's always pain and suffering. Turn on the news. Just yesterday there was a massive earthquake in in Nepal. And I read this morning like over 2,000 people are um, estimated to be dead already. Death toll is rising and... and, um, I read a prayer request this morning of a friend of mine who is in Nepal, was on Mount Everest or was getting ready to, to I think he was at the base camp, and um, he's a action-adventure photographer. And so he was there on a, on a shoot and when the earthquake um, hit. And so he's, you know, just has messaged people to pray for him as he tries to help people deal with the tragedy because there were people, I think 10 on Mount Everest died and base camp, parts of it was wiped out. And so, but, you know, every time you turn on the news, you see these things. And sometimes the tragedy and the, the you know, the, the, the suffering and just the thing, things that go on in our world, they, they strike someone you know. And all of a sudden you're, you're a lot, you know, your heart is tied to it. And there's suffering all around the world. Sometimes we just are tempted to ignore it. Sometimes we don't want to watch the news. Sometimes we don't want to read the Internet or read the paper because of how much bad news there tends to be when you just look at things. And so, simply put, this question is, why doesn't God just put an end to evil and suffering? Why doesn't he just say, it's done? If you, know, if you can do that, God, why don't you do that? Since we began OCC... Seven years ago, we began this church seven years ago. Since then, there have been some phone calls um, that I will just, I'll never forget. Friends of mine, just dear friends that, that have been walking through some really, really difficult things. And I get these phone calls from, from friends, from family members of mine, from people in our church family. Sickness, tragedy, abandonment, divorce, death, cancer. And I could just go on and on and on. And I wish I had all the answers. I wish I could. I wish I could say the right thing, but haven't been able to pull that off. There's just things in this world that we are walking through and that, are, that we're going through that I I get these calls and it just. What do I say? What do you say? How do you respond? It was about a year and a half ago when I got a phone call from my mom and dad. And they, they were, it was one of those, are you sitting down kind of calls. And they just were like, um, tests are in. My dad has cancer. He has leukemia. And we still don't know what that all means. I mean, we, we know what it means, but it's, it's, in a, it's a chronic form of leukemia. So we don't know when it's going to get aggressive. It's not yet. Every few months he takes a test and we find out how's it going. And, but the questions come up. Why him? And you ask the same questions. Why, why your family? Why does tragedy strike us in the way that it, it has? We get our prayer requests every week as a church, and we our staff looks at these things and prays for them, and there's these painful stories, and sometimes there's these incurable 
um, sicknesses that it's some of the requests are the same requests because there's just no change in some of them. And so this question, it really shouts to us at the core of our being because we're affected so often by it. And this is where we desperately need perspective that really comes from faith. And the problem of evil really exists at two impacts us on at least two levels. Number one, it impacts us intellectually. We wonder intellectually, how can a good and all-powerful God allow suffering and evil to continue in the world that he's made? Why doesn't he just stop it? Intellectually, we think, why doesn't God just say, this is, this is done? If he exists, why doesn't he just stop it? And then secondly, it impacts us emotionally. If I love God, then why am I suffering? I love God. Why am I suffering? He loves God. Why is he suffering? Let's consider this question. Really, as we get started, what is good, evil? Let's just define the terms. Good is this. Good is that which brings favorable things. This is what I want. This is what you want. We want to sign up for good. Evil is is really that which causes harm. It's the opposite. It's a perversion of the good, a corruption of something that already exists. For instance, tooth decay only exists because there are teeth, sadly. I'd be fine without teeth, if I'm honest. Just find a different way for me to chew my food. and They just, they're a pain, you know. Rot only exists if there are trees, you know, that existed first. And so evil only exists because there's a way that things are supposed to be. The problem of evil really assumes that there's a standard of good and then begs the question, who sets the standard? There's a God who sets the standard of good. Um, there are two kinds of evil. This we're going to follow along. If you want to follow along, it's in your listening guide. Two kinds of evil. Number one is moral. There's moral evil. That's harm done by free creatures. God made us with the ability to choose whether or not to do good or, or evil or harm. We can choose good or harm. I can choose good or harm. You can choose good or harm. Um, this is the reason hunger exists in the world. There is really enough food. I don't know if you looked at this before, but there's enough food in the world for the entire population of the earth to have 3,000 calories a day and be fine. But because of selfishness, and some nations and places hoard, our nation hoards, but there's a lot of generosity that flows out of our nation as well. But you know there are nations that hoard, and then there are some national leaders that just don't, don't care for their people. And so because of that, people are starving and dying. I was reading about, um, in Ephesians chapter 6, there's a part in Ephesians 6, I was reading this in my quiet time, and uh, it got to the section on children, and my children were nearby, so I brought my children over. Hey, listen, listen to what God says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Take a seat, kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And then it says, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with them, and that they may live long lives on the earth. Do you guys want to have long, good lives? But they're really, at that point, they're thinking, yeah, but I want to go back to playing with my toys right now. You know how talking to kids is, you know. And I read the verse like ten times, just if I'm honest. I really want them to understand, guys, this is the key to the good life. Honor your father and mother. God makes a promise here. Like, you, you want to have a long, full life? It says that it may go well with you. What do you think it means to go well? Well, it means good, Dad. Yeah. You want good life? Yeah. 
How do you get that? Uh, <laughs> honor. Oh, honor. Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, it means obey. Yeah. Do you want a long life? Yeah. Well, I don't want them to experience the opposite. I'm trying to convince my kids that disobedience and dishonor brings harm and even cuts life short. That's a challenging thing to do because they can choose. In fact, we choose every day to obey God. <laughs> every day we choose. And then we reap the things that we've sown. Oh, so there's this moral evil. That's one kind of evil. We choose to do harm. I don't want to do that myself. I don't want my kids to do that. I don't want you to do that. But we, we do choose to do wrong. Second thing is, another kind of evil is natural evil. That's earthquakes. That's floods. That's tornadoes. That's diseases. You know, there's infections, bacteria spreading, and it just, it ruins things. It rots. It decays. And we puzzle over, why did God let this stuff happen? The Bible tells us what happened. The first man and the first woman, they rejected God. God made Adam and Eve, and he gave them the responsibility to be stewards over everything that God had made. He said, this creation you're going to manage, you're going to steward it, you're going to be my representatives, and you're going to be stewarding this, do a good job with it. He hands, he hands them this responsibility, and everything's going well. He declares it's all good. Your job is to steward it well, to manage it well. But then when Adam and Eve, as representatives of mankind, they rejected God, they actually opened the way for natural evil. For all these horrible things that have struck God's creation, the natural order of creation. The creation itself was subjected to the impact of humanity. The fact that we rejected God. We're going to look at that in Romans chapter 8. But that's called sin. Sin impacted the creation. The Bible says that every one of us has rejected God as well. Following the steps of Adam and Eve. We've all followed the first man and the first woman. We've ratified the decision. We've said I approve of your decision because we've done the same thing with our own rebellion. And that impacted the natural world. So there's natural evil. There's moral evil. There's natural evil. Now, Jesus, he stepped into the world the way that it is. He didn't try to sugarcoat the world of what was going on in the world or anything for his followers. He acknowledged the reality of evil. In the Lord's Prayer, he taught that we should pray that we would be delivered And protected from evil. Before going to the cross, he said this. He said, I have said these things to you, this to his followers, that in me, he's saying, in in him you would have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's the word we get, you know, trouble from. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, if you follow me, he's saying, look, Follow after me. You're still going to have to deal with evil and suffering, but take courage. I will give you what you need to handle the here and now. I'll give you what you need. I've overcome the evil in this world, Jesus said. And Jesus is God on earth. He doesn't apologize for pain, for suffering, evil. He comforts people. But what he does is he promises to give endurance. He promises to strengthen and hold us up while we're bearing up under pressure, he promises, I will help you. And then one day I will bring a final victory and an end to all this. He's already overcome on the cross. He's paid for the penalty of our sin. But we're still dealing with the effects of our sin, the effect of sin on this world and in this world. Where did evil come from? Moral evil 
you know, the, the harm done by free creatures. Moral evil is the result of free choice. We find Romans 5.12. God made us to be free, but we have the freedom to choose. With that comes the freedom to choose whether we want to do what he says and obey him or not. You see this with Genesis in Genesis with Adam and Eve. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree. You can, you can enjoy the rest of this. Don't this tree. This is you must not eat from this tree. If you do, you'll surely die. But he gave them the choice. And with freedom comes the possibility of evil. It's impossible to create free creatures who are forced to do God's will. And so he created us so we would choose to love him. If we can't choose to hate him, then our love for him would be empty. And so since men and women have chosen to reject God, moral evil has entered the world through that choice. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, it came in through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin and its effects have spread and infected humanity. We all feel its effects. And then it infected also the natural world. So then creation. The world that God put us in charge of was impacted as well. So natural evil is the consequence of the choice that mankind made. Part of the consequence. Part of the the curse, the judgment from God upon the creation because of sin. Romans 8, verse 20 through 22, because of what humanity caused. says this, verse 20, chapter 8 says, For the creation was subjected to futility. Referring to decay. So the world is, is decaying. It's breaking down. There are problems with, with the world. This isn't talking about humanity. This is talking about the creation itself. It's breaking down. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, God has cursed the physical creation as a part of his judgment for people on people for sin because of their position and because of their authority over creation as God's representatives. See, we were entrusted with something precious to God and there was a choice made and there's a choice that we continue to make to sin against God and there's an impact. And so what's the solution of pain and suffering? As long as we're on earth, then pain, suffering, and evil will continue to be a reality that stings us. We all feel it. We still feel the throbbing of the pain. Now, there's a story I think that illustrates really well God's, God's solution, what God did. Um, the story is about uh, a young Belgian um, priest named Father Damien. And I may have shared this story before. I think it's a great story. It helps us get a picture of what God has done um, in the person of Jesus. Um, but there's this man named Father Damien, and he was a young priest, and he was sent to minister and care for lepers um, on the island of Molokai, which is one of the smaller um, Hawaiian islands. It's off the coast of Maui. And um, leprosy, uh, he was caring for lepers, and leprosy is this chronic bacterial infection that attacks the nerves, the skin, the respiratory tract, even the eyes. And it results in the lack of ability to feel pain. And so leprosy is now curable. But back when this man did ministry, Father Damien, 
Um, so this is an example of what leprosy, how leprosy would um, infect a person and their skin. And they couldn't feel pain. What this does is it sets a person up to lose, to get injured and lose body parts because they can't feel the repeated injuries over time. They lose their ability to feel things. And so um, it's curable now. But back when Father Damien was sent to care for these lepers who were really kind of quarantined on this island so they wouldn't infect anyone else, um, it wasn't curable at that point. No one was signing up for this assignment. So you can imagine, you know, where do you want to go to do ministry? Not on the island of Molokai. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get leprosy. And so he's assigned with this task. They drop him off. Their ship lands in, in the islands. And one of the priests tells them, don't touch anybody. Well, how do you do that? How do you pull that off? How do you care for people? How do you do ministry in a place and, and keep your distance? Well, of course, he's not able to do that. He starts loving these people trying to be used by God, introduce them to Jesus, and, and just be with them in their final years of their lives. What a selfless, sacrificial thing for him to do. Um, and so he just steps right into their world. This is a picture of him when he's a young priest, Father Damien. And here's a picture of him with the women. He's just right up next to them. There's points when he's, you can find pictures of him um, Holding, caring, hugging, coming close, rescuing from the ocean. Here's another picture of <clears throat> with him, with the men and some boys. From he's just right. He's right in the midst. After 12 years, he himself he contracts the disease, and at one point to begin a sermon, he opens up his robe and he begins to show the initial signs of leprosy on his own body, and he begins his sermon by saying with the words, we lepers. And he preaches his sermon. But he identifies himself as one of them. Because now he was different. They could identify with him, and he could identify with them. This sparked an entirely different relationship. He died at age 49 of leprosy. Here's a picture of him on his deathbed. But it's an amazing, amazing story of compassion. His grave is a uh, memorial there in the islands. It's next to the church where, where he did ministry. I, I've, as I've read this story at different points in my life, I thought, man, what a remarkable um, parallel story to what God has done. In a very similar but even more profound way, God acted on our behalf out of love. God sent Jesus into our world. This man stepped into their world, and then he He died. His life was a sacrifice of serving and loving people and sharing. Jesus, you know, stepped into our world, the brokenness of our world, with all that our world was about to throw at him. So the weight of pain and suffering would not crush us. We have the freedom to just try to bear the weight of pain and evil on our own, but that's not God's intent. The good news is this, is that Jesus is really the answer to evil and suffering. That's God's answer. When words fall short, we, we have Jesus' whole life that really speaks louder than any words ever could. Check out this verse from 1 Peter 2. It says of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's speaking of the cross. He absorbed the sin of the world, all of your sin, all of your pain, all of your suffering, of everyone 
he bore that on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the best news. His suffering brought comfort. It brings comfort because he understands the pain that we experience because he died an excruciating death on the cross for you and I. And that was God's, that was God's answer. Jesus was innocent, yet he was killed and endured the real pain and he felt. The effect of pain is still here, but his sacrifice continues to bring healing because he died so that sin and pain and suffering and all that comes with it will not overcome us. Jesus said, look, I have overcome the world. In this trouble, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome this world. His sacrifice was the final answer to sin. This word healed here, it means to be renewed or to be made whole again. Now, living in a fallen world, it impacts us, but renewal, it comes only through Jesus. Elise Strobel, he's a best-selling author, a Christian apologist. We were giving away books at one point from, from Lee Strobel. But he said this, God's ultimate answer to our suffering is not an explanation. It's the incarnation. The incarnation is God taking on flesh and dwelling among people in this sin-infected world. That was God's answer to suffering. And that really gets to the heart of, of, of what we're looking at today. You can't deal with this question of, of pain and suffering saying, God, why don't you? Because he did. We, we look to Jesus. We can't deal with this without looking at what Jesus did. Jesus was God's plan for redemption, not just for salvation, but for the here and now. And, and there's a few truths on the back of, there's five truths that help give some more perspective to this issue. We can't really deal with this in 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever this is taking. It's something that we could come back week after week and keep talking through this issue. Here, here's five truths, though. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. He's not the creator of it. In fact, God, when he made the world, he saw it was good. Genesis 131 declares it was good. When he saw all that he had made, he declared it's all good. This is before sin. Yet for love and relationships to be real, God allowed free will to exist in the world. God, you know, love always involves a choice. Without a choice to love, it's not real love. My kids, they have a lot of toys. They've had stuffed animals. And some of those stuffed animals have had the drawstring where you pull on the string and it would say little messages. So like, hey, buckaroo or something. I've had Woody. I'm thinking of the Woody pull string, you know, hey, buckaroo. Well, if, if my kid's doll says, I love you, when you pull a string, the words are there, but the doll is programmed. <laughs> it's not real. It's artificial. My kid's not going to grow up attached to Woody in that way. Well, some do, I'm sure, but. They know they can separate that. But God, he wants us to choose to love him back in response to him loving and choosing us first. Evil and suffering really came from free will. One author put it this way. Paul Little wrote, Evil is inherent in the risky gift of free will. Here's another truth. Second, though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. It's never good going through it. But God can use it to accomplish good. People trying to deal with tragedy often say, you know, 
Everything happens for a reason. We wonder, what is that reason? God, as we look through the Bible, God shows us the reason. He traces the root of all evil to, to, to free choice and mankind's decision to sin and rebel against his plan. That brought moral and natural evil into this world. And God promises to take all the circumstances, both the good ones and the bad ones, and use them for our good in making us more and more like Jesus. Look at this from a uh, professor of philosophy. He wrote this about regarding the cross and Jesus' death on the cross. He said, at the time, nobody saw how anything good could ever result from this tragedy. Can you imagine being Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross, watching her son being tortured and then murdered and dying? Can you, can you imagine? Or the few of his fo- closest followers that were there, At that time, nobody saw how anything good could ever result from this tragedy, and yet God foresaw that the result would be the opening of heaven to human beings. So the worst tragedy in history brought about the most glorious event in history. In Jesus' death and resurrection, we see both the love of God and the power of God to make pain and suffering good for us. That's that's why Paul declares in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good. This is Romans 8.28. For those who are called according to his purpose. I don't understand all that. I wish I understood how it's all going to be good. and how, what, what the good is that's coming. Because some of it just doesn't feel good. But God makes promises. For those who love him. That he'll use the pain. The things that don't feel good. He'll use that your ultimate good. Number three, the day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. I look forward to this. We look forward to this. God promises to give us what we need in the midst of evil and suffering. And there, there will come a point where God will stop evil and suffering for good when Jesus returns. This has not happened yet, but it will. Because imagine you're reading a novel and you stop somewhere in the middle of the book if you do that, there's going to be all kinds of loose ends to the story because you're in the middle of the story. And that's really similar. The Bible says that the story's not over yet. We're somewhere in the middle. And we have to trust God in the middle. The fourth thing is our suffering will pale in comparison to the joy God has in store for his followers. Again, I don't fully understand this because we're on this side of eternity. Who can't understand this? Romans 8.18 Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul was a man that suffered. He was a man who knew suffering. Because of his faith, he was beaten, beaten senseless. He was flogged. (laughs) They tried to stone him to death. Um, He saw He saw some amazing things happen, but he paid a real price. Here on earth, suffering and pain can feel like a huge chunk of our story, depending on what you've experienced. But he's saying, look, in light of eternity, we can't close the book on the story before it's completed. We just don't, we can't see and understand everything from this side of things. This passage in Romans kind of describes the present suffering. Paul says, for him, he's like, it's like a blip in time compared to the eternity that we'll have with God, where everything will be made new again, where God will wipe away the tears, no more sin, no more death, 
no more pain. This isn't to deny the reality of your pain, but somehow in eternity, everything will come into perspective. The fifth thing is this. We all decide whether to turn bitter or turn to God for peace and courage. And this is probably the most challenging part of it, is when we're going through suffering or when someone you love is going through suffering, we have to make a choice. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to, are we going to get angry and bitter? I want to show you a, a clip from the movie God's Not Dead. And there's this professor who challenges his class. Well, he basically says, you can all pass this unit of this class by just declaring that God is dead and he doesn't exist, and then we'll just move on to another subject of philosophy. And there's the, the student in this class who says, I can't sign this. I can't write God's Not Dead and put my name and sign that statement because I don't believe that. I'm a Christian. And so this professor says, well, it's your assignment now to defend God's existence before the whole class. So you have three lectures, and we're going to watch the scene from the last lecture that he gives. And, uh, you know, it's a movie. There's points of cheese in it here and there. And so, it's, you know, acting is, is the best, you know, that I've seen in, in some. And, and at the same time, there's probably, well, anyway, I'll just stop there. But but uh, he challenges this student to to defend the existence of God before the class. And then, and then the student says, let's let them decide if God exists or not. So watch how this debate unfolds, because this issue of, of bitterness um, really comes up in this scene. Evil. That's what's said that evil is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith. And it is. After all, the very existence of evil begs the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful... Why does he allow evil to exist? The answer at its core is remarkably simple. Free will. God allows evil to exist because of free will. From the Christian standpoint, God tolerates evil in this world on a temporary basis so that one day those who choose to love him freely will dwell with him in heaven, free from the influence of evil, but with their free will intact. In other words, God's intention concerning evil is to one day destroy it. Well, how convenient. One day, I will get rid of all the evil in the world. But until then, you just have to deal with all the wars and holocaust, tsunamis, poverty, starvation, and AIDS. Have a nice life. <laughs> Next, you'll be lecturing us on moral absolutes. <laughs> but why not? Professor Radisson, who's clearly an atheist, doesn't believe in moral absolutes. But his course syllabus says... He plans to give us an exam during finals weeks. Now, I'm betting that if I manage to get an A in the exam by cheating, he'll suddenly start sounding like a Christian, insisting it's wrong to cheat, that I should have known that. And yet, what basis does he have? If, if my actions are calculated to help me succeed, then why shouldn't I perform them? For Christians, the fixed point of morality, what constitutes right and wrong, is a straight line that leads directly back to God. Oh. So you're saying that we need a God to be moral, that a moral atheist is an impossibility. No, but with no God, there's no real reason to be moral. I mean, it's not even a, a standard of what moral behavior is. For Christians, lying, cheating, stealing, in my example, stealing a great I didn't earn are forbidden. It's a form of theft. But if God does not exist, as Dostoevsky famously pointed out, if God does not exist, then everything 
is permissible. And not only permissible, but pointless. If Professor Radisson is right, then all of this, all of our struggle, our, our debate, whatever we decide here is meaningless. I mean, our, our lives and ultimately our deaths are no more consequence than that of a goldfish. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So after all your talk, you're saying that it all comes down to a choice. Believe or don't believe. That's right. That's all there is. That's all there's ever been. The only difference between your position and my position is that you take away their choice. You demand that they choose the box marked, I don't believe. Yes, because I want to free them. Because religion is like a, it, it, it's like a mind virus that parents have passed on down to their children. And Christianity is the worst virus of all. It slowly creeps into our lives when we're weak or sick or helpless. So religion is like a disease? Yes. Yes, it infects everything. It's the enemy of reason. Reason? Professor, you left reason a long time ago. What you're teaching here isn't philosophy. It's not even atheism anymore. What you're teaching is anti-theism. It's not enough that you don't believe. You need all of us to not believe with you. Why don't you admit the truth? You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Professor. Me? Or God? Do you hate God? <laughs> it's not even a question. Okay. Why? Do you hate God? This is ridiculous. Why do you hate God? Answer the question. You've seen the science and the arguments. Science supports his existence. You know the truth. So why do you hate him? Why? It's a very simple question, Professor. Why do you hate God? Because he took everything away from me. Yes, I hate God. All I have for him is hate. Can you hate someone? They don't exist. If you've never seen it, it's a it's a it's a good movie to watch. And it for some of the things we looked at today, it just brings it raises those issues up. And but the reality is, many times with pain and suffering and loss, we turn away from God and are tempted to turn our back and just walk in a totally different direction and to write him off. And um, if you are at a point where you're hurting right now, don't don't turn your back and, and run away. I'm, I'm encouraged. Many many people in our church um, are here because as they went through some really hard things, they've turned to God, and that's been the thing that God has used to really draw them into a real relationship with Him. And then they. The pain still exists. The pain is still very real. But there are people here that are they're suffering, but they're not suffering alone. They're struggling through things, but they have people around them who love them, who are helping um, support them, who are mourning with them, who are rejoicing with them. There, there are just, <clears throat> you can't do that on your own. I, I really encourage you to turn to God. Don't get bitter. Don't turn towards bitterness like you see in this film. Look again at what Jesus promises. He says this, I have, seen, I have 
said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you turn to Jesus, he promises to give us what we need, which is peace in the present. And then really courage to move forward into the future. Very few things in life stir us up like pain and suffering. C.S. Lewis, he said this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. My hope is that you turn to God and experience his comfort, his help, and his peace today. His delay in dealing with sin and evil, because he will deal with sin and evil. He will bring it to one final end. His delay is really for our ultimate redemption. He wants more people to come to know him. If he dealt with it, as soon as he deals, if he returns, when Jesus returns and, and deals with all this, and wipes away tear and pain, and wraps up time in history, then... Uh, no more people can turn to him. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His, his delay is he, he wants, what's delaying is he wants more people to turn their lives over to him. And we get to be part of that. You get to be part of that. There are people in your lives that are searching for answers, that are searching for hope in a, in a, in a world of pain. And God may be asking you to speak up, to share Him with others. I really hope that you will. I want to wrap up by asking our worship team to come back up to the stage, and we're going to uh, close with a song. And if you take out your connection card and just finish filling that out, we're going to drop that in the offering basket in a moment. And on the back, you'll notice there's these three next steps. In my pain... Turn to God for peace and courage. They might be where you're at. Is just, And that's more than likely why you're here. If you're in pain, you're turning to God. That's, that may be what you're doing by just being here this morning. I would say keep turning to Him for peace and for courage. Another thing is show compassion towards someone hurting in my life. It's not hard to find hurting people. You start having conversations and you step into people's world. You find out there's a lot of difficult things that people are facing. And so show compassion. Listen. Don't try to fix it, but just be present with people. Sit with people. Memorize John sixteen thirty three. That helps give perspective as you're walking through things. Um, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer before we receive the offering this morning. Father, I just pray for each person here. You know the things we're facing right now, God. You know the the problems that we find ourselves in. You know the pain that we're experiencing right now. God, you can bring a comfort to us that nothing else can match. And so, God, I pray that that would be the case. I pray you would continue to comfort the hurting, continue to bind up our wounds. Thank you for Jesus for going to the cross for us, enduring the cross, the pain, the shame, the suffering, the humiliation for us. Lord, thank you for meeting us at our deepest need where we find ourselves totally separated from you but then able to relate to you because of what has been done for us on the cross Lord I thank you for each person here I pray that you would help them not to suffer it alone and in silence but to open up 
to people in this church and to receive comfort and hope from you, God, both through your word as we share it with each other and as we just live it out and love each other in the way that you've asked us to. Lord, help us to be more and more not running away from people with problems, but but just as you did, stepping into people's lives and their worlds and, and, and being a part of that. Because this is a time that is reserved, Lord, right now for care and ministry and love. And, and in eternity, Lord, all of the pain that we're in will be gone. But right now, Lord, would you help us to, to cooperate with you, Lord, to be used by you to help people to come to know you. And if we're in pain, Lord, to just keep turning to you, Lord, and to be sustained as you help us to endure through it. Bless the offering we're about to receive. Bless those who are uh, giving it. And Lord, we pray that you would just use it to help us to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.